Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am reporting live from beautiful Los Angeles. The weather has been so gorgeous and I'm staying in Santa Monica. So I'm like one block from the beach every single day when I get back to my hotel after working. I just walk down to the beach to watch sunset. I've been bringing a book with me, just a little blanket, and it's been so nice. Like I just really appreciate and value Mother Nature to just calm me down and just remind me how beautiful things can be. I'm also traveling solo. So Mavi is with my parents. I miss him so much, but it's also great for me to have some solo time, some alone time. It's rare for me. I want to introduce this episode. If you haven't heard this episode before with Mandy, it is incredible. She is such a brilliant thinker, writer, artist, just incredible critical thinking skills. And the way that she thinks about beauty and her relationship to beauty is so wonderful. And even if you heard this episode when it originally aired, wow, now it's been three years, three years since this episode has aired. It's great to revisit it because there's so much here. She is just truly someone I admire so much. And I love talking about beauty with this level of depth and intelligence. And you all are in for a real treat. So enjoy the episode. And I will be back next week with a new episode for you all. And I hope you enjoy for my American listeners this nice long Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you are relaxing as you are listening to this and getting geared up for September. I can't believe it's already fall. All right, let's get into the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I am here with Mandy Harris-Williams. Hi. You are a theorist, an artist, a writer, a cultural critic, commentator, educator as well. You do yeah. all of the things. And I I feel like I'm even over-researched for this interview because I've like read so much of your work. And I'm like, I had so many different ways to start this off. And then your post yesterday, I was like, yes, like this is how we're going to begin because it's just like the perfect starting ground. Okay, rad. Okay, I I was going to read it, but I think since you're here, you might as well read it. Let's start with where you say, okay, let's get one thing straight here. Okay. So this cool. is, and so Mandy goes by Ideal Black Female on Instagram, which is a fabulous handle. <laughs> um, and you're always posting really deep, thoughtful, amazing content. And your captions are always just like mini essays. So I saw this and I was like, this is where we have to start. Yeah. Um, okay, here we are. Um, okay, let's get one thing straight here. I write about desirability politics and the very real ways a body 
and persona like mine is not market viable. I write about feeling undesirable and unfeminine. I write about how money makes beauty and I ain't got no money. (laughs) I write about how that beauty in turn makes money. I write about lacking models of inspiration. I write about feeling underappreciated because of my physical appearance. I notice when I'm overlooked, when a porter helps a friend with their bag, not mine. I notice how y'all tend to socially congratulate Coke bottle figures and 3B textures and non-Black women doing shit that Black women would do if authenticity and realness were real concerns. I am vocal and keen to how aesthetic politics work. But y'all, I don't think I'm ugly. (laughs) (laughs) I react to a political system of controlling notions of beauty that ultimately seek to undermine women's productivity and happiness. Some of y'all's so-called beauty is literally just embodied agreement to participate in aesthetic norms. Mm. I take my acute little tender senses and write sensitively. This is my vocation. Please, please, please tone correct in my comments and in my face from here on out. And please, please, please stop sounding so surprised when you see me and I'm attracting you. The thesis is not that I'm ugly. It's that we have a rampant, raced, gendered, classed desirability problem for which I suffer material consequences that limit my success and sustenance. The exercise is to demonstrate the double consciousness of being sociopolitically undesirable while being desired. It's complex, I know, but honestly... If you don't get an erotic charge from what I post, please just spare me the flimsy performative admiration. Hashtag brown up your feed. Yes. Okay. So listeners, you guys already know what kind of conversation this is. (laughs) This is the intellectual beauty conversation that I have been wanting to have since I started this show. And I can't think of anyone better to have it with because you're thinking about these things on a level that I don't know a lot of us are. Some of us are. Yeah. Yeah. When did you begin to think about beauty and self-presentation beyond the surface level? Yeah, I think that I always felt like beautiful. Like my experience has I've like as a kid, I like laughed a lot. I was really silly and goofy and I've always felt like extremely like amorous like I always had like deep crushes as a child or like I would like see see people who like captured like who I was just like I don't even know if it's necessarily like mm, right like beauty capital B beauty right that I was like attracted to Mm -hmm. them in the in the sense that we usually think of attraction but I got some sort of like erotic fixation from them you know some Mm. sort of detail or something that drew me in you were early people that did that for you One person, I remember I saw like this guy on the train once. He had this like kind of princely white blouse. (laughs) Do you remember when blouses were in blouses and blue jeans? Yeah. I was super young and you might have, you're like a little bit younger than me. So I I just turned 30. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more. I'm 31. Oh, my God. My senior in the room here. I I mean, I don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I've just turned 30. Okay. Well. No, no. We in the same boat now. Exactly. Exactly. We're all here. (laughs) Um, Okay. No. But so this was at the beginning of like my memory, though. So he had like this white princely blouse on and like 
these blue jeans and boots and like long hair. And he was like man spreading on the train across from me. And there was something like, I don't know, like something was really sexy and like beautiful about this like aesthetic and moment. I'm still kind of into it. I'm still into like jeans and blouses. Yeah, I know. It's a look. It's a vibe, especially here in L.A. Yeah. And it was like the first time that this was happening. Right. Because it was like the, the 90s. Right. So it was like really thick. And it was like New York, long haired hottie on the train. And I was like, oh, like there's a lot going on. there. <laughs> well, I feel like I just jumped in, but we know each other. We grew up both New York. You were Upper West Side. I was Upper East Side. Yes. I actually don't, I can't even pinpoint really how we know each other. Like, is it something awful like Jack and Jill? Oh, God. (laughs) I was going to mouth it to you. Wow. It's like, it's a Jack and Jill. Yeah. um, Speaking of um, beauty norms. And respectability, politics, and all those things. Um, But we're not even going to go there right now. But that is our origin story. That is how we know each other. But even just growing up in New York, you went to, did you go to one of the all-girls private schools? Or were you scared from that? Oh, no. I I actually was really fortunate. Okay. I went to Bank Street. Oh, okay. So So you got a more diverse experience. Yeah, like progressive, hippie vibe education but then I went to Trinity and I would say probably somewhere in the transfer between those two I learned I'd say so like the the dawn of it was just like knowing that I could feel passion right and feel beauty yes and then the next step was like realizing that the beauty that I felt internally capable of both like receiving and expressing for some reason in the ecologies that I was moving I was slightly removed from that identity that I felt mm. of like lovable and loving. Mm-hmm. I, I think I began to notice that there was something about the way that I looked being a part of like how I should be loved around like, well, I realized I was different because it was like a mostly white school. Right. So you're like, okay, number one, I'm like, so things are starting to line up here. Number one, I'm different. Number yeah. two, like, there's something off about how people perceive that I should be loved or like how I would mm. be capable of loving. And like number three, like you see, like mm, you, then people start to have crushes, I guess. It's like, you know, at, at Bank Street, I will say like the hottest girl in yes. our grade was like it would go like back and forth because they could never let like one woman. They had to pit two of women. Of course, of course. There's always a number one, two, and sometimes a, th- a three, depending on like a good summer. Right. Like exactly. they come back like, oh no, now she's the hottest girl. So, okay, yeah. So right, right, tell right. me about the hottest girl. In I Bank would Street. say probably the most dominantly hot girl. Yeah. Also, kind of coming up at the same time as Beyonce. Okay. And not altogether not favoring Beyonce in a lot of ways. Oh, like she looked like Beyonce. Like kind of. Oh wow. Like that's she a had lot. Hips before the rest of us, yeah, and a lot to compete with. <laughs> I mean, like I didn't really feel competitive. Okay, I did realize that like extremity of darkness was an issue. Hmm. Probably, probably actually, I noticed that from like uh, summering on Martha's Vineyard. Oh, interesting. I say well, summering because it's an efficient verb. <laughs> yes, no, I mean, and it's all, but it's also a thing. People summer in Martha's Vineyard. A lot right, of people were just there. The 
desirability and privilege is something that you talk about a lot. And even in that caption you just read, you talk about the kind of Coke bottle body and like the 3B hair texture, which is a lot of times goes hand in hand with like lighter skin. Mm -hmm. Even if you observe it growing up as being seen as more desirable, do Mm -hmm. you think that you always internalize it? Yeah, I mean, I think to varying degrees. For me, I think being around white people so much, that exposure and having to move in those spaces, whether it's, you know, a predominantly white school. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Trinity. That was another predominantly white school and a very conservative one. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Trinity, it is Gossip Girl. Right. I would say Gossip Girl is like a conglomerate. Right. Fictional. Right. Of a couple of places. Mm -hmm. But it's that. It's not just ethnically white. (laughs) It's deeply culturally white. Yeah. And then he went to Harvard. Yeah. So which is the white. Yes. It's like the the origin of whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> some some could say. Yeah. Yeah. So I think interfacing and trying to be successful in all those spaces, I realized like, oh, okay, so like there's something weird about like because and it I, it wouldn't even be like completely accurate to say that I would I was excluded from desirability mm-hmm. right it's just that it manifested in like strange ways you know that like the what? patterns did you feel you had to wear your hair a certain way did you feel you had to yeah okay. absolutely I felt like there were coercive norms about how black women should uh, wear their hair in order mm-hmm. to be considered like. Mm, I wanted to definitely like be considered a leader, I think, in mm-hmm. the communities that I was in. So I felt like I kind of was wearing my hair straight a lot. I, I suppose I don't like necessarily resent the experience of going through so many like hair identity changes, but I definitely feel loosed from pressure these days mm-hmm. now that I don't particularly move in like one. Mm-hmm. I suppose in like the socially congratulated high level elite Mm -hmm. institutions that I was, I mean, to put it plainly, I like move around it. Right. And I'm still learning how also because like society does change. Right. And my ability to find environments where I am like more loved and lovable just based on shared values of like anti-racism and people I can trust to do the work Mm -hmm. as I navigate those spaces. Now I'm finding, okay, like, well, this is one thing Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm still noticing this or that, or, you know, a different shift in energy when I, you know, slick my hair into a bun versus, you know, wear it in a fro or, you know, when I have braids, there's a certain, you know, you feel, you feel those changes. I'm exceptionally sensitive. Really? Yeah. And do you feel like you're just like an intuitive person? Like you can tap into the way other people are feeling? I would never, you know, I really, it's hard for me to say because I'd never, I've never been in any other, you know, body. body. So, and I also am scared of people who are like, really like, yeah, I could read. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're like not on that level. Um, But I do feel like I, I can feel people's energy. You can? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your sign? I'm a Gemini. I'm a double oh, Gemini. Oh, intense, intense, intense. Okay. Yeah. okay. That says a <laughs> and lot. a Virgo moon. Oh, wow. So I'm That's just intense. Like, That's a lot. This idea that being attractive 
gives you more access and privilege. Mm -hmm. And then that gives you more money, which allows you to continue to enhance yourself, which like kind of perpetuates the cycle of privilege. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about it? Yeah, sure. So studies have shown this is a podcast, so you're probably using a smart device, computer, (laughs) phone. Yeah. Uh, So feel free to look it up. But studies have shown that more attractive people have higher salaries, like taller men are like CEOs. Like there's there's some sort of like strange proportion of Mm -hmm. how many tall men there are in the world versus how many are like Fortune 500 CEOs. Right. So whether it's for men or women, mm-hmm. there are kind of like these controlled notions of like what physicality implies for leadership or professional aptitude. So let's start there. The thing about taller men, right, it seems to be kind of like derivative of some idea of like this hypermasculine, like athletic. I feel like the narrative has probably been pretty old i know like at least as far back as what alexander the great they you know would talk Mm -hmm. about his like genius as a politician as like so connected to his physical appearance Mm -hmm. and so there's this tradition of kind of building people who are in power up to also be the beautiful ones and then it kind of you know cycles interesting there's this ebb and flow and there are different cultural historians who I've kind of picked up this line of questioning or argumentation. Um, There's this one um, that takes like the idea of the bombshell, right? Like the curvy bombshell from the 1950s and kind of makes this like cultural comparison between like the need for men to contain the bombshell. And so that became like the, the icon of like the, the, sexual narrative the desire narrative Mm -hmm. would be like rogue men trying to like tame like marilyn monroe's sexiness and it justifies like you know talks about how political forces justify certain like desire modalities that we act out so yeah beauty and politics are connected (laughs) yes but it's interesting because you as an artist and a conceptual artist so much of your personal brand is you, is your face, is the way you look. And you are beautiful, right? (laughs) And so is it something that you recognize and therefore tap into as as part of your power? Oh, yes. I think, you know, you're a young, beautiful woman and you have something to say. Yeah. You could say everything and never show your face, but that would be a disservice to you. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's like, I also like do like low key drag. Like I wait, low key drag. How so? Like I went to school in Cambridge. Like I know what it's like to live in a place that's like super low key about appearance. Mm, And sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to do this and insist on my ability to like be here and do this. Mm. Like sometimes I feel like it's kind of a skincare flex too. (laughs) Oh my God. No, it is. It is to like just be makeup free. Right. And then you're like, oh, okay. Like also like I'm dark skinned. So I like to think about how to like put some of those things in flux and like play with them and have conversations. The thing about dressing low key. So I was at Stanford, but then I did an exchange program at an HBCU. I was I was not prepared for the level of glam that these girls go to class with. Just like even just to walk around campus or like to go over to Clark or go over to Morehouse, like especially coming from Stanford. I mean, I was I was overdressed for Stanford coming from (laughs) from New York already. (laughs) But but then Atlanta was just like a whole nother level. Wow. I mean, these girls are like full lashes, nails done, hair done. 
outfit on 10. Right. And it was a little bit intimidating. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? Is that you have like this little cultural bubble, right? Yeah. And there are decisions on like how... Uh, how preoccupied women should be as, you know, when they leave the house. And like even men to a certain extent have have uh, codes of presentation. Of course. Here, certainly. How how long have you been in L.A.? I've been here for 10 years now. 10 years? Yeah. OK, so you're like. Deep. I'm always faking like I'm going to come back. And to I New York. Like I don't really live here. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I'm sure you see a lot of people that are aspiring, right? Aspiring actresses. Basically, they they need someone else to validate their talent or beauty to like get to the next level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of that kind of necessitates that you conform to a certain ideal until you then make it and then can break out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really wise. I hate to, I hate to do that. You know, honestly, I feel like I've, I've like I did that for like Harvard and I did it for Trinity. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> like, so how, how, how has your style and approach to your look changed since then? Um, like when did you go natural? Like when did you wear your hair? Oh yeah. So I started going natural. This is so awful. I started growing, going natural under like sew-ins at uh, very Harvard. And then I like, f- for the first time, I really like, because like partly because of the way that your hair is braided up in the tracks. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can finally feel like my texture now. Cause I'm not like brushing through it every yeah. day. Yeah. And I can kind of feel like what it would do if I left it like yeah. not really touched. And I was like, okay, like this might be something interesting to explore. And then I guess I was transitioning for what, three years probably before I had cut everything. Okay. That was relaxed off. And then, you know, I did the natural, like the real natural thing where I was like never bleaching my hair, never ironing my hair, just yeah. like super like regimented and what was really wild about that was with that experience I realized that like I would get kind of sucked into this universe through social media or through the internet of like natural hair and (laughs) it's quite a universe yeah (laughs) right yeah notice I don't say movement (laughs) (laughs) yeah that implies that you can be in it or out of it (laughs) Mm. yeah um but yeah it's it's been like this full cultural shift right um for black women's beauty this ownership of like natural hair Mm -hmm. and then I was riding that for a while and then I started to feel like that familiar itch of like wait a minute I think I'm allowed to be long here but I don't feel like seen represented Mm. and like I think what I realized was um First of all, I was spending a lot of money on these, like, basically, like, home project, like, experiment, like, <laughs> chemistry projects, which I actually loved to do that. Yeah, and I, I still do all right. of those. And, like, like the Cherry Lola method was, like, an early one with, like, baking soda and oh. amino acids and, like... Oh, my God. Yeah. No, but I... But you know what? I, I, My whole interest in natural beauty, I really credit to me going natural and, like, learning that a lot of the stuff in my kitchen was better than anything I could get at yeah. Walgreens. yeah. Okay, but you're spending a lot of time and money. Right, but I was spending a lot of time and money. I mean, I I see the value in it. Now that I've like spent some time like bleaching my hair and being like, whatever, fuck it. I can always put it in braids, which was like also liberating. Yeah. But I realized that like there was still this like, 
within black culture, we we internalize white supremacy. So within the natural hair movement, we internalize that there is this supremacy of a certain type of curl. And like, I realized that there was this kind of just like this layer for me as as a like critic where I felt like this is just as controlling for me, like mm. for me, mm-hmm. it felt just as controlling in some instances as having a weave, right? Mm. Because it's like, at the end of the day, it takes a lot of my time. (laughs) Right. But I think, okay, so I have this, I, you and I share something in common. I I remember you had this beautiful picture of your hair out and you said, I don't not wear my hair out because I don't love it and I don't feel beautiful with it. It's because it takes so much damn time (laughs) and she's needy and it's just a lot of work. I relate to that so much. Like I, I love wearing my hair out. I just, I need a break. It's too much to handle. And I think that one of the things I'm really coming to terms with is for anything to look great, you have to put in work. Like, yeah. you can't expect your hair to just be thriving and healthy and great without like putting in work. You, you can't know? expect, you know, it's like. But there is, there are, I would say like, there's, now I'm at the point, right? As a Virgo moon, a 31 year old <laughs> Virgo moon, I'm like, okay, so like there is a, this nexus, right? Yeah. Of like the way I feel to myself when I look in the mirror, the amount of time from when I wake up to the time I can leave the house based on doing my hair, which is, you know, anywhere. Yeah. Takes time. I'd say like at the, at the longest a house hairstyle I would do would be like two hours. Yeah. And then does your hair take forever to dry? My hair, my hair takes. Oh, it takes days. Days. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's like very stressful. Yeah. So the time, like, Definitely, I am influenced by like if I go out and people are like, damn, I'm like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> you get a little crowd reaction, yeah. you you buzz off that a bit. Like, there's things that make you feel like more. For me, I'm always like kind of clocking like my authentic blackness and like, you know, I'm like, okay, like what am I, what am I aspiring to look like here? How close to is it to like my racial ethnicity and like phenotype? Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and like, am I, it, like, I do think that it's totally possible to like defend against the accusations, like that stupid shit people are always saying, like, well, well, black women get blonde hair weaves. Oh, so is that appropriation? It's like, fucking no. It's a response <laughs> to an overarching like political aesthetic system that we took and freaked and now made our own. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, one of the biggest, I think, privileges of being a black woman when it comes to hair is I, I truly don't think there is any limit. Like, I have seen yeah. every single hairstyle that can be created. I've seen on a black woman and I've seen it executed flawlessly. I mean, the, just the irony, right? Of right. Like, the blonde hair weave appropriation. I know. <laughs> I know. It's re- kind of ridiculous. But also, I'm not bothered by white women in braids. Ooh, I am. <laughs> I, it's funny because I've talked to guests that are really bothered by it. Why are you bothered by it? Uh, okay. Let me collect my thoughts. Because here I thought we were having a cute little conversation. <laughs> well, because here's, here's, here's my thing. If they recognize the origin of that hairstyle uh-huh. and whether it looks good on them or not, I'm going to keep that aside and just keep that to the side. <laughs> but if you if you want to style your hair that way and you are willing to accept the fact that some people are going to feel away, mm-hmm. then like yeah. go out and do that and just own that. It may trigger some reactions in people. Yeah. It doesn't trigger reactions in me. Yeah. But I think that if you were going to like, you know, get your hair cornrowed and have your baby hairs laid down and you're like blonde hair, blue eyes, you can do it. But just know that there may be some comments. Yeah. No, I agree that you 
can do it. Yeah. But but it makes you feel a way when you see it. It makes me feel like just I've I've built so much history against it. So I really have to like I'm really trying yeah. to like trace the thread back in my mind. I believe that it feels just it always feels black aspirational to me. Mm. And I think that given the like sociopolitics of how black women are recognized for their contributions to culture at large. I kind of feel like it's the sort of thing where one, it's inauthentic, but two, it's like in relationships, sometimes somebody has like a trigger. And uh, I think about it as a Gemini. Um, <laughs> White women embraces your trigger. <laughs> As a Gemini, I'm always in relationships where people are like, that joke hurt me. You know, Mm. like people are always telling Mm -hmm. Geminis like, like, ouch. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, oh, like I was kidding. So I know that in some relationships, I have to be sensitive to things that people feel. Yep. And my feeling is that white women and especially the white women who are typically the purveyors of those braids who want to be down, who want to be progressive, right. who want to be in community with Black women. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like, well, why? Like, what is, what do you gain? Maybe they think Black women are, like, just popping and, like, they want they want to be around that energy. Like, I yeah. I guess I, I admire Black culture so much yeah. that I understand when white people, like, I when, I when I went to Korea and I saw all yeah. these kids, like, in, like, full-on, like, fubu, I was yeah. like, how did you even get this over yeah. here? But, like, I got it immediately because I was yeah. like, I, I get that pull of our culture. Well, okay, so for me, it's, like, so hyper-specific, right? What... I feel about the particular setup of how European descended Americans Mm -hmm. have invaded, enslaved West African peoples and how those West African peoples responded by, you know, creating a market for this low priced fiber that we could extend our hair with and that like, you know, when I was uh, when I was seven, like I went to no, when I was like eight, nine, maybe I went to camp for the first time and I had braids and I felt like free. I felt like, yeah, of course, you, you could know, go swimming, jump in the lake. Right. This is a part of what that fiber. Yeah. Quite literally means to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think like, yeah, I'm kind of with you on the one hand. I'm, this, this is a very Gemini answer of like, where I'm like, yeah, like, sure, you can do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not like, I definitely love to write about it. And like, but it really is so specific, right? Because yeah. um, you can have, you know, you can have, we'll just like call out the most uh, iconic of them, Iggy Azalea, right? <laughs> of um, them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> Um, and then you can have people who are doing these like more subtle nods to blackness. Mm-hmm. And then you also have a spectrum of people who are like really around black people. Right. And so right. if you grow up and you are like, there's one thing, if your personal history is that you grew up, you were the only white girl. Right. In a neighborhood of black people. It's a different thing if you grew up and there were like a group of white kids who mm-hmm. kind of aspired to be black. There's so many different personal True. histories and relationships yep. to the 
accessibility and yeah. performance mm-hmm. um, of blackness. Now I also feel like it's so easy to go on the internet and you're like, oh, that's hot. So yeah. Like it, the, the whole shit feels kind of like fake and cheap to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have I had to. And it's so funny because these are faux locks that I have in. And I asked a friend of mine yeah. who has real locks, mm-hmm. like, does it bother you this trend mm-hmm. of like faux locks that like I just crocheted this in my hair yeah. one afternoon and like yeah. now I have locks? And she yeah. was like, no, it doesn't yeah. bother me at all. Yeah. But I feel like if I had if I had taken the time and patience to like grow locks and I saw all these girls with like locks all of a sudden, I'd be like bitter about it. I would love your hair. Thank you. Way. It's so cute. I definitely love the play of just being like, okay, who are you? Who are you to how like you move with your body that you didn't really have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. You have some like level of control over how do you interface in the world? How do you then like adorn or mm-hmm. style, right? And like, I just love to like go into all of those and like kind of match them up and like break them down. And like, you know, if you had like a bunch of little post notes, like, could yeah, you, if you had five people and you broke them down by like ethnicity, hometown, like styling, yeah, outfit, hair, like, could you, could you make each person accurately? Like, just thinking about like totally. how, we, how we make, especially in this internet era and this social media era where you can be on your phone and scroll and see a million different cultures and aesthetics at the push of a button, right? It's like, how do you, how do you like absorb culture and why do you absorb culture? Mm -hmm. And uh, what, like, what's your end game? What is your, what is your study process? Mm -hmm. What is your exercise? It's So what's the end game for you when you get dressed and and show up in the world? You're not supposed to ask me about my own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for me, there's different end games. Like a lot of the times I want to look chill and comfortable, mm-hmm. but I also want to look like glam. Yeah. I want to look like I'm on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> like cute, but cozy. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, one thing that like I am attracted to is comfort. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And this yeah. is a perfect segue into because <laughs> you wrote an amazing article about slip-on sneakers. I don't know I'm why. Wearing them today. Yeah, I noticed. Um, <laughs> I never thought the topic could be handled with uh, such depth. But I've been thinking so much about patriarchy and high heels. Oh yes. And less and less. Like I, I, I do not go towards heels naturally. But then sometimes I wear them. And I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's like, yeah, my leg looks great. Like mm. I'm walking a bit differently. Yeah. But then I like think back to like, why do these even exist? Because naturally, I mean, it doesn't make any functional sense. Yeah. Do you feel like even wearing things that are uncomfortable, tight body yeah. conscious yeah. clothing, high heels, do you yeah. think that that's just like a direct manifestation of the patriarchy? Yeah, great question. So I do think that the origin story of a lot of those things are to, um, yeah, to indicate women as prostrating or performing in Mm -hmm. some ways or to like thrust the spine into a certain position that accentuates like so-called feminine attributes, right? Or, um, you know, when I think about high heels, I think about that. When I think about shaping where I think about really like a, a... manipulation of the perception of a woman's bone structure Mm. and how like it's I think ostensibly is supposed to make us look more like fertile like accentuates like the hips yeah the hips so yeah I think a lot of these like adornment traditions are deeply patriarchal Mm -hmm. but I think it's also the same thing with like 
the reaction, right? The reaction to the controlling or the prevailing um, social and political circumstance, mm-hmm. just as we spoke about with like the Kineklon, right? So mm-hmm. you have like low, a low cost fiber based on like the restrictions, the socio-political restrictions, redlining, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. however you mm-hmm. want to define the history of why Black people would have less money to spend on their hair. And then you have like an ideal, right? Like a white supremacist beauty norm ideal and so you kind of have like this necessity and you create a market and i think then that market thrives and warps and continues to kind of change right Mm -hmm. to the point where now you have faux locks right and it's like a completely new thing right right so it's created this innovation so yeah i think that it is possible to own completely and that's why like that's why femmes are so fucking dope. That's why black people are so dope. That's right. why queer people are so dope. Because yeah. we've had to innovate with the little, you know, scraps or restricted little environments or having to go underground, you know, is has has created so much creative innovation. Mm-hmm. Which is why everybody wants to look like black, underground, queer, like Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the origin of like a lot of creative movements when you look back. Yeah. I mean, and also like that kind of fucks me up too because then I don't I don't ever want to get into a position where I'm like well you know where there's this back door to say well good good thing that oppression creates mm, oh interesting interesting yeah because I think there are some apologists some white apologists who that's what it comes down to it's like I I love blackness so much I'm not even really tripping that like white people <laughs> do horrible things because we make we do such a good job of turning it around, you know, it's like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so, so problematic. But I hadn't even heard yeah. that perspective. That's interesting. Yeah. Or I think the white version of that perspective, too, is like, whatever, like black people are so happy. Like, look at them oh, singing it, singing and dancing. I actually want to go back to you, Martha's Vineyard, um, relaxing and the no makeup skincare flex. Oh, you have amazing skin. Thank you. Have you always invested in like skincare as like a focus area or is this genetic? It's largely genetic. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, but you you know, that's the whole thing where people who have amazing skin, you ask them what they're using and it's like, okay, yeah, but I have great skin. My mom has great skin. My grandmother has great skin. Yeah. 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 Okay. But you do stuff. I've been trying to like as a post 30s individual just do routines okay of beautification okay more so for the routine tell me what your routines are i kind of go back and forth between a cream cleanser Ooh. um and i kind of use it as like a lotion to give myself a face massage okay okay and then i give myself like a face massage with my knuckles oh yeah. Nice. So it becomes more about like the ritual. Yeah. The fact that I'm like washing my Yeah. Face. That's great though. Get the blood circulating. Yeah. I'm well, my mom is a massage therapist. Right. Okay. So I believe deeply in massage. Yeah. Um, in the power of massage. Yeah. So I use my knuckles, I go like kind of upwards on my bones and stuff and just nice. enjoy. I also like I think part of the moment for me is like enjoying my bone structure and yes. like really being in touch with it. So I've started washing my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then do you follow up with like serums or like you just keep it simple? I use witch hazel because okay. I love it. Love, I theirs. love witch hazel. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And then 
Actually, sometimes I use Stridex. Oh, like if it's the summer, okay. And I really just want to, yeah, tingle. Just, yeah, get it, get in there. Yeah, <laughs> Stridex open is those bad boys. Very up. intense. Yeah, yeah. I get the no alcohol with aloe one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's still, yeah, Ooh. yeah. It is, yeah. But like, it's partly like I, I don't even feel like it's a good product. I just like the way it feels. Like mm. I do it for the sensation. The sensation. And like, yeah, there's a little bit of like, whatever, some acne fighting ingredient. Yeah. But it's like, I, I want the tingle. Yeah. Or sometimes I want like a smell of a product, you know? Oh, wow. So I try to like, as much as possible, even like kind of separate my distance myself from like the feeling of like being tied to that routine because like, this is the routine and like really try to like work on the enjoyment of my routine. So you create a space and a ritual and a moment for yourself to yeah. do self-care. Yeah. And I think partly like the outcome then I feel, I feel like I have earned like a self-loving reflection that mm. like if other people catch on like cute. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, it's so interesting because I was reading um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's like a Buddhist philosopher, uh -huh. and he yeah, was yeah. talking about how taking care of your body is actually like paying ultimate respect to the cosmos, right? Like to yeah. the trees, to the clouds, because, yeah, you can't, you're like a part of nature as well. And you have yeah. to take good care of yourself to honor yeah. the greater things around you, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I've, I've also been thinking too, like, and this is just, I like, I, I'm like a holistic beauty critic, right? Yes. Because I'm also, I also think about like consumption, right? Like what I'm, what I'm consuming when mm -hmm. I'm, you know, as like, as I try to experience and express beauty, what am I consuming, right? Am I, am I like very like product oriented, right? Do mm -hmm. I like, am I, because I've, I've noticed about myself and like Americans that like we have a tendency to like when we want to change it's like okay well what do we have to buy in order to yes change? oh my gosh that is so true and I can care for things differently mm -hmm. to change and if I want to feel cared for and I want my space to feel cared for and my skin and like my body yeah it's the it's the act of caring of course yeah yeah that I always say self-care is free yeah exactly yeah. It's just like a slowed down intentionality. Okay. Back to my skincare routine because I, I rehearsed this part. I really yeah. thought about it. I was like, okay. Oh, tell me, tell me all the things. <laughs> so now you've stridexed your face, you've witch hazeled, you've cleansed. Yeah. I hope some moisture is going in now. Some moisture is going to go in. <laughs> Great. Don't you worry. So today I used this product, cracks me up, Ambi. <laughs> oh. Even and Clear SPF 30. Okay. Is Ambi like, yes, the marketing is a little bleaching cream-esque. Yes. So I've always been a little like, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, well, okay. So I like, I've thought about, uh, I get like dark spots because I also like, real talk, I love picking. I oh, really? love I The hyperpigmentation is, okay. Oh, you watch oh, those, those pimple real. popping videos? Yeah, it's, I guess, like what I'm saying is that it's worth it to me. <laughs> <laughs> because just last week I saw one down here and I was like, oh, my God. Wait, so you look in the mirror, you see it and you just can't help yourself. Yeah. And what do you do? Like you use your nails and like you get up close and you like pop it. Uh, you know, it's a process. Each <laughs> <laughs> like you relish in it. You're like, Each yes. one is its own story. Okay. 
Wow. I mean, but it leaves a mark. You might feel it underground for a bit, you know? Okay. And you're like, this is coming. Do you try to stop yourself from doing it? It's so bad. Oh, no. Oh, you're like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Wow. I also felt like that with bleaching my hair. Mm. Sometimes I just feel like I want to look like I did something indulgent. Yeah, I'm getting (laughs) highlights um, in two weeks and I'm excited. Like, I know it's not the best thing for the health of my hair, but I think it looks dope. Yeah. And I think also it's just like cool to be able to like have those moments where you're like, I want to do this. I know it's destructive, but I'm young and like, I'm not that attached to the outcome. Like, I might lose hair. Like, yeah. But, but, but the face, you should try to stop. You don't care to stop. Honestly, I don't Can't. even get that many pimples. That it like, yeah. really fucks me up to hyperpigment, and I like I don't care. Like my scars are my yeah. scars. Like, yeah. I... So that so the ambi is meant to kind of like neutralize the dark spots. Yeah, from... it has a little hydroquinone in it. Yeah. So I I think that just like the active ingredient also like responds to like the hyperpigmentation. Yeah. As well as just like a. I think it's like a very low amount. Yeah, no, sure. I'm not I am not looking to lighten your overall. skin. Of course not. But but hydroquinone, um, if it's sold like over the counter, like right. in a, it's not going to be at a, at a dosage high enough right. to bleach your skin. Okay, right. so you follow up with the ambi sunscreen. That's what I did today. Okay, because I also knew. I also thought that we would walk from here to lunch. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'd be outside. Right. So I put on some sunscreen. I wanted to make sure that I had some SPF. Yeah. But generally, I like to, um, I've been like going through a bunch of like kind of samples. I had like some samples of this like Chanel like jelly. I really like jellies. Okay, like a gel-based moisturizer. Yeah. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll put on like this Clinique pore mattifying like Mm. lotion. Yeah. Which is just really good. Honestly, it feels like a primer. Yeah. And then I put on um, Honey Do Me Up. By NYX. Oh, I don't know that. It feels like a serum. Okay. So like sometimes I'll wear I'll sometimes I'll wear both of them together. Okay. Sometimes I'll wear one on top of the other. Okay. But when it, whenever I wear honey, honey do me up. I think that's what it is. Honey honey do because it's like a honey yeah, do. Got it. Honey Cute. do me up. All the cutesy uh, <laughs> beauty names always crack me up. <laughs> I don't know. People really respond to it. And it also feels good and it smells good. It has yeah. glitters in it. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. So then I have to ask you, what are your like top three beauty products or like beauty trends that you love right now? I will say, yeah, I will say primer. Mm-hmm. I love primer because I feel like it's the no makeup makeup. Yeah. Like if you want to, if you're really trying to skin flex, like sure, you could wear nothing on your face. Yeah. Or sometimes I like to do like a third of primer, a third of illuminating lotion and a third Ooh. of um foundation. Of, yeah, like a tinted sunscreen or something. Yeah, and mix it all together. Color. Yeah. Nice. I, l- I just love primer. I swear by it. It's n- it's not a trend. It's here to stay. Here to stay. Okay. <laughs> and then another trend. I, I think that's it. That's it? Oh. I love I love the color in your hair. Like you have this like turquoise blue that's gorgeous. Oh, I feel like I'm seeing more and more women of color experiment with really bold colors. Yeah. I love that. Well, I did bleach for like four years and then like... I just got tired of it, and uh, I was like, oh, I have this blue. <laughs> yeah, no, it works for you. It works for you. <laughs> Thank you. And are you, like, tatted at all? Yes. I feel like I'm, like, not even a millennial. Like, I don't even belong in my generation because I don't have piercings and tattoos. I feel like I need more tattoos, but they're expensive. 
Well, especially if you're going to be like an artist in L.A. It, precisely. Honestly, <laughs> I this is this is one of those things where like aesthetic norms like yeah. are controlled by access to like money. And then like that money creates an aesthetic of like viability, market viability. Yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely need more tattoos. <laughs> I think it would help my art career. Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I have three so far. And I love I love all. those. Yeah. Those are gorgeous. I want to get Harriet Tubman. Ooh, yeah, that would be dope. I've wanted it for years. I actually think someone else got it recently in my social network. And Interesting. I was, I was like, if only I had money, then I could do things first. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, tell me, tell me about the the choice to go by ideal black female. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think because I learned, you know, there's that um, ideal black man or ideal black male. There was that like IBM. Do you have an IBM? There was like this 90s saying when IBM was a thing. Okay, yeah. And then it was like the ideal black man or the ideal black male. So I was just like, you know, it strikes me that a lot of how I was raised was organized around one day procuring the ideal black male before mm-hmm. I realized that like I was so not interested in like having that being a central organizing like element of anything um or like certainly you know i think there's like this nuclear familial drive Mm -hmm. um especially in like respectability black cultures Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay that feels like something i want to critique and i also don't feel like the ideal black female or woman like i i feel like the ideal black female is like maybe doesn't exist like it would be like a just a controlling mythology where mm. you could say oh well she's definitely lighter skin or she definitely has like this kind of hair or she definitely has this kind of body right and like so the specter that there could be an ideal black yes. female drives us towards yes. certain behavior yep and i think i would be far away from it just because we're within we're operating within white supremacy right so i'm like dark skin my hair is you know pretty tightly curled and yeah do you ever get criticism for being still kind of close to the ideal if if you're saying yeah well i think it's i think yeah totally (laughs) why thank you (laughs) but like i think it's really flimsy right because i i have felt ugly like that's Mm -hmm. the thing like i've gone into situations where i am ugly really (laughs) Oh yes, but okay. I, you're very conventionally attractive, though. No, no. <laughs> I mean, you are. Yeah. No, no, no. It's. I'm not. I'm not like trying to be provocative. It's just. I think, yeah. like, objectively, most people would say that you're conventionally attractive. Because I think you think dark skinned black women are beautiful. Like, I think mm. when you speak that mm, I'm coming from that lens. Okay, interesting. Yeah, like you personally are clearly aware of that. You wake up and know that every day I can mm-hmm, see it mm-hmm, on you. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, so I think, yeah, like from you, I think we can unpack that conversation to say like, yeah, well, between us, we know we the baddest bitches out right. here. <laughs> right. Okay. I see. But then, you know, you go into a situation like I would, um, there are so many situations where I feel that I am like not even a woman. Sometimes, mm. like, I was just in Martha's Vineyard, for instance, and I had been like driving. No, or yeah, I'd been driving. I drove up. I was in something super chill, super cozy. Probably had my hair like slicked back. Probably was wearing a hat. Like, mm-hmm. I just like probably looked like a tomboy. Yeah. And this guy, we got we got our luggage onto the boat, and this guy like rushes over to help my friend, who's like blonde, slender, like 
curly haired, mm-hmm. white. And I had just like hoisted my back up. I was like <laughs> dog tired, you know? Yeah. And then he like rushes over and I'm like, huh. It's like, like am I even here? Yeah. So that is a moment of being invisible, right? Right. Um, or there are moments where like, you know, when I was 12, Obviously, this is a while back, and I certainly don't groom myself in the same ways as I did when I was 12. But I remember when I, uh, at one point, uh, like, these boys, and this is ironic because they did this about both me and the Beyonce doppelganger. (laughs) Um, But they would, like, stick their chest out and stick their butts out and, like, just kind of, like, do this, like, act where, like, they were basically making our body type into a the grotesque joke yeah mm. and i felt like an alien i felt like so ugly i felt like oh the mm. sh- literal shape of the entire center of, my, uh, center of my body is fucked up you know and yeah. that made me feel really ugly right like it it uglied me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and i think this is what that like post gets to it's like right. i like there are people who have a structural and aesthetic wherewithal to see me as beautiful or hot, sexy, whatever, you know, the preferred or elegant even, mm-hmm. right? But there are also people who don't have the range. <laughs> and it's yeah. based on it's based on, I think, access to black people, right? Seeing them in their day-to-day. It's based on um like a deep political and social understanding. Mm-hmm. Um And I think it's also really nuanced, I think. And this is something that I'm like wanting to be a discussion more in progressive aesthetic spaces, especially in front of the camera and media. I think that like there are a lot of people who would say they believe black women are attractive conceptually they believe black women are attractive and then you go into spaces and you're like the only dark-skinned woman and you know maybe there's like other dark-skinned people there and they might be from different places or like different ethnic diasporas or like interlocking ones like they might be like or people might say like oh i i don't believe in colorism right Mm -hmm. but like you do believe that dark-skinned slave descendants who are not mixed like or like it's performed in spaces sorry in spaces you will notice an exclusion of dark-skinned slave descended black women in a lot of spaces that i'm still in Hmm. whether those are i think those spaces tend to be like kind of queer to queer inspired Okay. Um, like POC circles, queer POC creative circles. Mm-hmm. And you think this is an intentional exclusion? No, I don't think, I don't yeah. always think that okay. anti-blackness is intentional. Right. And I don't even think people always understand their anti-blackness. Like I think some people, because they categorically have women who are black in their life, believe that they love black women. But let's say all of those women are 3b hair texture right Mm -hmm. so then the question becomes well what then do black women have to look like for you to love them Mm -hmm. do they have to have curly hair do they have to be half white do they have to be east african Mm -hmm. right and then what do those preferences show about our particular american relationship to blackness 
Right. Um, Our particular American relationship to blackness is that there was a triangular slave trade that has a very specific history. Yeah. And a a very specific um, code of who is excluded or erased or, you know, whatever the penalty for uh, being black is. Right. Right. Because that's the way that they set up racism. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can use these black people, but we got to make them really bad. Yeah. (laughs) We got to make them really ugly. We got to like build up this whole vibe where they're like not it, you know? Right. So that's our particular American racism. You went to a much deeper place. Um, (laughs) I was wondering how you felt about contouring. <laughs> no, really, I'm I'm very curious. Are we talking a light contour? Or are we talking aggressive contour? The idea of so it's so strange because I do not think about my nose at all. Yeah, yeah. Probably like the most boring feature yeah. on my face. Yeah. And a lot of people, which I've only learned recently, think that I've had a nose job. Which is like, why? Do you want me to answer that question? Sure. So I often think about like. I think about the like phenotype privileges for black people tend to go in about four buckets. Okay, yeah. Let's get into um, these buckets. The first bucket would be skin color. Okay. The second would be hair texture. Mm-hmm. The third would be something that traditionally has been referred to as like fine features privilege. Mm. So I think for unfortunately it's like kind of not correct. Because mm-hmm. if you look at folks who are from West Africa, there's so many different phenotypes. Exactly. Yeah. It's just an illegibility. Yeah. But because of stereotyping and how we've been portrayed, we've been portrayed with these like, mm, like excessively like large features, mm-hmm. right? Specifically our noses and our lips mm-hmm. and even like a buck eyed appearance, right? Becomes right. like the stereotypical, like horrible, horrible yeah. blackness yeah. that we're avoiding, right? And so that people who have wider nostrils flatter nasal bridges you know larger features are then like kind of put into that like you know here this is this is the the veil that we're like terrified of and i often think about because like then i i think about my privilege and disprivilege right like i think about like let's say a place like martha's vineyard right why is it that i'm like Mm -hmm. the darkest skin Mm -hmm. person here in martha's vineyard what is it that like people see as kind of fitting into this code or respectable of this code or tolerable even Mm -hmm. right yeah, I mean, it's cl- it's clear that, like, I have a certain privilege. So you think that people assume that my nose is, I wasn't born with it because it's, like, more European nose. Yeah, because you have a high bridge. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also then it just kind of reminds me that people have such a limited view of what Black people can right. look like. Exactly. That they just automatically seem that. But the, the thing about contouring, I could see how it could be demonized as trying to make your features more Eurocentric. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I put it in the same category as like wanting to wear like a long straight weave. Like, I just feel like women can do whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, I think you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I think what I hope is that every woman is saying, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I know about patriarchy and yeah. I know about yes. like Western history yeah. and beauty yeah. norms and yeah. beauty ideals. And like, I want to look like a bimbo. Yeah, exactly. Like when I choose to wear my heels, even right. though I know that it's just like internalized patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. And then like, and then I'm going to say some yeah. shit and you're going to be like, oh, this bimbo has a brain. And that's yeah. that therein lies the joke, exactly. you know, and now exactly. I'm laughing. Exactly. And, I, I, and you want to fuck me. And now I have all the power. <laughs> exactly. <Right>? Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Are there any beauty trends that you're really over? Instagram eyebrows. Yeah. A lot of people have been saying that. Yeah. They're still out there in, in L.A. They... Yeah. Reign supreme. 
Oh, see, here's the thing, though. You have these beautiful, natural brows that you were born with. Yeah. I do not have brows. My father doesn't have I got microblading done. Like, I had yeah. to literally go and get my yeah. brows tattooed on. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. And she did a great job and it's very natural. Yeah. But I do think that, like, you're speaking from, like, a full brow privilege perspective. You're right. Where you don't know what it's like <laughs> to have to, like, literally draw your brows on. Some people are just out here doing the best they yeah. can. Yeah. I think also, too, though, that the thing about the Instagram brows that really gets me is that it's this trend that started based on the moment wherein you capture it like i feel like it's based on like the selfie right oh, oh based oh. on like your ring like ring flash selfie yeah and then it comes out into the real world and it looks so crazy yeah intense and i think what it reminds me of too is just that we are now changing the ways that we interact in real life in part based on what we want to manifest online. Yeah. So it kind of fucks me up. Yeah. No, <laughs> totally. The other thing that I always think about is how so much of the makeup trends that are popular for like 17 year old suburban girls now come from drag culture. Yeah. Like this whole idea of like beating your face and contouring and like adding lashes and like that's that's drag makeup yeah. that's now become so mainstream that people are just doing right. this to go to chemistry class, which is wild. Yeah. Well, it's also that thing, too, of like, you know, proficiency, right? Like you you have a culture that has been forced to go underground and then it comes overground and like the shit is popping. And then, yeah. you know, next thing you know, like Susie in Ohio is like <laughs> this. I know. Right. No. She can look at it from her phone in bed. Yeah. You know, get a tutorial. Well, before we finish, I want to talk about your life as an artist. Okay. Because that's like, I know a few people, actually, I know a lot of people that have like broken out of like the weird bubble we grew up in <laughs> and have gone on to do some like really amazing radical stuff, but not yeah. that many. And you were one of them. <laughs> that's like, to you know, to, to proclaim yourself an artist yeah. um, takes so much courage. And I like really admire you for just being uh -huh. out here with like a point of view and something to say. Thank you. What is it like being an artist um... full time? It's been like really weird. I like I'll say like there have been stretches of probably two to three months that I've been a full time artist, but I have always had some sort of cash cow, whether that was exercise training yeah. or tutoring. Um, so first, first and foremost, I want to be very clear about like yeah. the rom the romance of the economic situation yeah. of an artist. It's like actually, I think one of the things that I said to myself when I became an artist was like, oh, like I'm not going to have consistent paychecks and like I might not ever make money, which was like I was almost brainwashing myself too much in the opposite way because mm. I think we kind of grew up, you know, it's Manhattan. It's like kind of these elite, you know, institutions and you grow up kind of being like, got to make money, you know, you right. got to, you like my shit, got to yeah, make money. Exactly. You know? So I think one of the permissions I gave myself when I first did it was kind of like, and maybe I just needed to be in that phase. And I think I did, like, I think it's led me to now where I just needed to be like, I don't need to make money. Like it's, it's not my goal. I had to like deprogram myself. Yeah. I might've gone a little bit too far. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. With the reprogramming. Cause now I'm like, Oh shit. No, like I still like my shit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's real. Yeah. No. So I'm kind of like, balancing out right you know like i feel like in your 20s you're like i'm this person now yeah you're like, i'm this person yeah now. and then like in your 30s it's maybe like oh, maybe i'm a little bit of her and i'm like comfortable and maybe more agile switching between those two mm -hmm. but so yeah i think now and i yeah i like to speak with a lot of candor about like finances like 
right now, I feel like I've gotten a lot of shine and a lot of attention. I have a lot. Yeah, you're on Dazed 100. Um, yeah. I feel like you have press, like you have great, like, do you have a PR team? No. It's just like people are it's just me. like, we're fascinated by you. Let's yeah. feature you and write about you because yeah. you're like so cool. I, I mean, the wild thing is, though, that like the thing that I'm criticizing in my work is like the yes. ability of like white people yeah. to be like, we're fascinated by you. We'd love a little bit of it. Yeah. And then it's just like ultimately not sustainable for yeah. like black women yeah. in particular. Um, and so I think I'm kind of caught up into And I think that's a general contour of like the maybe... Uh, especially the queer creative POC influencer market where it's like y'all think this is really cute and really sexy but like I would love to know I would love to know where my rent is coming from for the next 12 months yeah some people know that I don't and Mm -hmm. it's emotionally unfriendly and like it's one of those things that kind of creeps into your creeps into your experience your Mm -hmm. lived experience right so um i always want to be very forthcoming about that because i think it's part of my art how i'm living my life and to be as like clear about that as possible but it like it is nice to get attention um and i that attention and the reason that i set out to really use specifically instagram to like build community yes. um around my work is because there are opportunities that come from it and the opportunities are so random and when people follow you they follow you or i should say me and i really do work to create deep connection yeah. with vulnerability and mm-hmm. like interaction um but the way that people like once they really fuck with my work like it's really heavy it's really committed right yes. so there are like moments and and huge opportunities the opportunities are like so much more they're like kind of wild and like hyper tailored right cuz they know what you do yeah. um so that's been cool yeah and, like and the brown up your feed movement is incredible and i think yeah. like such a powerful testament to it sounds so cliche and cheesy but like the power of a hashtag right yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people it's not I realize I do want it to be numerically bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really catchy. I think it's like some people really fuck with it. And like it's one of those things where like as a creative, you're like, OK, like so this is doing really well. Like the theory is doing really well. Like people who are who follow are committed, like it's a mm-hmm. high engagement. Mm-hmm. And so then how do we broaden that right to new, you know, populations markets communities however you want to call them um so there's all these like kind of various challenges of what it has meant to make a creative and artistic space for myself i enjoy the adventure and sometimes the adventure is like difficult of course mandy when do you feel most beautiful okay i feel most beautiful when i'm making hyper tailored hyper personal collaborative and specific and critical art projects. <laughs> um, so what that means is like... That's I, a first on the Naked Beauty podcast. <laughs> so one way that's manifested is like, um, I did this like really fucking intense call out of like the desire of around like white femininity and like... Yeah, it was gallery. on Vulture, right? Yeah, yeah I saw that. spaces on Vulture and like just 
making that i felt beautiful i felt like i'm a yeah. bad bitch like i love vulture like it's it represents such a sexy yeah. time yeah and like era in like new york totally culture totally so i like felt sexy <laughs> I, I so get that <laughs> um and i like called out like white women's aesthetics so i like deconstructed i yeah. reconstructed i showed up via powerpoint may i just say right <laughs> which was just like an added layer of just like wow kill him okay <laughs> loved it four slides on how you ain't shit yeah. <laughs> So I felt beautiful. Like I wasn't in front of a camera, but like just the ability to express myself in this very like in this platform that I thought was exceptionally chic in yeah. a language that I felt fluid in was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was you're awesome. really yeah. now, girl. Yeah. I made this wild ass film with my best friend and collaborator, Alima Lee, filmmaker Alima Lee and uh, artist, painter, conceptual artist, Devin Troy Strether. And he had this like kind of concept and it was very wide. And he brought Alima and I in to kind of put some details and shape to it. And I acted out this uh, role of the worst witch. Like wild enough. I was like, bitch, you look good green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all I had on was like green paint and some eyeliner and some mascara. Yeah. I was like, this is kind of a look. Like it yeah. was so like, it was like, just today on my feed, I saw something that was like ogre drag. <laughs> and you're like, this is me. I was like, okay, bitch. Yeah, like, you're like, I'm kind of feeling this. Yeah, so like, but also I got to like, in that video, I got to like, make a very like, real appraisal of like, mm, what it means to be like, what it means to have to dress up and perform something or like, mm. and the, I like deconstruct this idea of like black magicality and exceptionalism. Yes. And I also was acting and like doing something that I had never done before. So I felt like vibrant and I felt like experimental and I felt like proficient and I felt glamorized yeah. and I felt like so beautiful. And then like the reception was wild out of this world. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, like, that is the that is the experience of beauty. Yes. Um, that I like it felt so encompassing, like to perform, to have yes. like critical aspects. Yeah, that's probably the most like just the the process of imagining and bringing that to the world. And like even like the feeling of that, like I didn't have to do it all myself. Yeah, the like, collaboration. Feel, yeah. Right. I didn't feel worn out by the end of it, you know, yeah. where like, sure, like, yeah, my braids look great, but like my shoulders hurt. Like <laughs> You yeah, know, it's like I was able to bring something into the world with such elegance and ease and it went off and it That's fell. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love that answer, Mandy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Mandy, for thank being you. on the Naked Beauty podcast. I will link to all of your stuff in the show notes so people can get to know you better. Um, but this is great. I've been wanting this to happen for so long. How, Me too. How long have I been asking you? Uh, a long time. A year and a half, like, at least, that I can remember. Yeah. But maybe you would drop some other. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I did try. Before that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. 